If uh, you'll take your Bibles and go with me to Romans chapter 6, we have already gone through um, verse 1 through verse 14. That took us two Wednesdays, and um, we have yet to do verse 15 through verse number 23, and we'll take care of all that tonight. Y'all buckle in, all right? But, uh, but no, it, it, um, it, it all begins to, to flow together pretty um, seamlessly in, in the same thought. We, we pointed out that uh, chapter 6 as a whole you find its main theme, as you read through it, is a pretty clear theme of made free to serve God. The whole purpose of the freedom from sin is not the freedom from commands so I can do what I want. It's freedom from sin so I can live for God. And... um, and so the main thing here is Paul's teaching is that being made free to serve God. We pointed out that verse number 17 and 18, um, in, in my opinion, in reading the chapter, and again, it, it can vary for different people, but as I read it, verse 17 and 18 uh, really key in on the biggest um, point of the entire chapter, and, uh, and that is where it says, but, to, um, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And so that kind of uh, brings about an entire culmination of what the idea and main theme of chapter 6 is truly all about. And, um, and so we, we've already dealt with, like I said, verse 1 to verse number 14 in, in the fact that it deals with uh, the idea of both dead and living, or dead but living. Um, he deals with the abuse of grace in verse 1 and 2, and um, the understanding of water baptism, which to me was fun uh, to look at because you, you'll miss it many times. Uh, we often think that baptism, and, and I've taught it before in the one aspect, we often, often think that baptism is only really one thing to remind us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but it's not. In Romans 6, he points out it is the reminder of and the representation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But every time an individual is baptized, it's also the reminder of we have died to sin, and yet we live unto God. And uh, we, we are now uh, to, the, to the extent that we've died with Christ, we've died, uh, you know, with him on the cross, dying for our sin, we've basically nailed the flesh to the cross, we've allowed ourselves to be buried uh, in, in the likeness of his death, and then we are to raise in the likeness of his resurrection, which is the newness of life, not through baptism salvation but through the fact that it is the representation of i am now a new man i am a new man because of salvation and this baptism reminds me that i am dead to sin but i'm alive unto god therefore i no longer have to serve sin but i can serve my savior and uh and serve righteousness and so baptism is the picturing of and reminder of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but it is also in, in same 
uh, two-sided coin, you might say. It is also a picture of the reminder of what we are because of that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I am to live alive unto God, freed from the bondage to sin. And, uh, and so we looked at that, then we also looked at the lost dominion, verse 8 through 14, the lost dominion and power of sin and death. Now, uh, we look at verse number 15, and, uh, and really the, the question, it pretty much lays out a, a simple question of whose servant are you? Verse 15 to verse number 23 uh, focuses heavily in on um, the servant to one thing or the other. And, uh, and so looking at, at verse 15 through 18, in this question of whose servant are you, uh, there is the revealing of obedience. What, what obedience reveals? Uh, you understand what, what Paul presents here, starting in verse, let me, let, me, let me read verse 15 through 18. L- listen to what it says. Now, understand, he started off in verse number one, um, what? Shall we, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he says, verse number two, God forbid. So the idea that we are not under, uh, we are not under the law, but we are under grace. So should we continue in sin that grace would abound? God forbid. Well, he's gone through now. And verse number 14, we ended with last week, for sin shall not have dominion or power control over you. You're not bound to it without choice now. You are freed from it to serve God through salvation. So sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So every time Paul mentions you are not under the law, but under grace, he follows up with the very issue that most men come up with. Well, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I'm not under law. You can't tell me what to do. I'm under grace. I'm free. I have, I have Christian liberty. Uh, so it, it's funny how both times when he focuses that we are not under the law but under grace, he follows immediately with, so should we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, look, verse number 15. As soon as he says you're not under law but you're under grace, that's why sin's dominion, sin's control, you're freed from that. The law made you bound to the guilt, but grace gives you freedom through forgiveness. And verse number 15, he again said, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So if the first time it wasn't good enough for man to understand Paul is not teaching that just because you're saved, you can do whatever you want. If the first time wasn't enough to prove that Paul does not believe in uh, your, you know, the eternal security is just a license to sin. At the first time he said that in verse number one wasn't enough, he, got, he went ahead before the chapter was out and repeated it again. Shall we continue in sin? No, we should not. God forbid. What a shame it would be for a child of God who's been set free from sin to go living and rolling in it all over again just so God's grace can be seen in my life over and over again, forgiving me and whitewashing my sin. That, that's not what grace is for. That does uh, despite to the grace of God. And, and that, that's just, that is man's very wicked way of trying to justify um, living disgracefully while calling themselves a Christian. 
So Paul nails that twice in one chapter. But verse number 16, he goes on and says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now Paul here, uh, ultimately as you're reading this, you understand the context of, of verse number 16 He's not just dealing with the daily yielding of whether or not I give in to sin. Whether or not I give in to following Christ and, 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 and give in to the will of God for my life every single moment. Or I give in to the temptation of sin. He's not dealing with that. In this particular verse, in verse number 16, he specifically clearly deals with the obedience concerning salvation. Because it, it, this is more of a single choice that takes place, not an everyday choice. We'll see the everyday here in just a moment of the, of the daily yielding ourselves uh, to the following of God's will or my way. And we see that in just a minute. But verse number 16, he, he points out um, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, he's talking about sin unto death. He's dealing with yielding yourself to just remain bound in sin, which brings about death, and, and it is referring to a second death. It's referring to death without forgiveness. You have, you have died in your sin, and those that die in, not guilty of sinning, but those that die in their Sin, unrepentant, unforgiven, they have chosen to be obedient to the guilt of sin and to be obedient to the control of sin and the control of the flesh and the control of, of, of the devil, if you want to put it that way, um, as the master that wields his deception over their life. But you either can give yourself to the control of sin unto death or you yield in obedience unto righteousness. But here's the neat, the, I say the neat, it's, it's what can be missed very easily, is the fact that in both occasions, in verse number 16, Paul is pointing out that obedience, the obedience you are following, or should I say, you can put it this way, the discipline that you are following reveals you. Um, the, the obedience, because it's an obedience to sin or it's an obedience to the Savior. It's an obedience to the life of sin and, and, and their unrepented nature of, I don't need God, I have what I want. The obedience unto sin, which is unto death, or the obedience uh, unto righteousness, which is life. Verse number 17 uh, he says, and here's how you know that verse number 16 is talking mostly, is really focused on the choice made to obey unto Christ, to obey unto God for salvation and the forgiveness of sins versus to obey unto the condemnation and being lost in their sin without repentance. How do you know that? Well, verse number 17 re references back to what he's talking in verse number 16 by saying this, but... Oh, what's the but for? Well, he just made a statement. Well, here's all this, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. 
Well, how do we know that he's not dealing with the daily choice to choose to live for God versus choosing to fall for the temptation of the flesh? I mean, how how do we know he's not just dealing with the battle of the flesh against the spirit for a saved individual? Because he said, ye were once this person, but now you're different. Now, that either means that the child of God, when we get saved, is free from doing any sinning. Or he's referencing the servant of sin in the fact of unrepentant, lost individual. But now ye are obedient unto God, which is someone who has given their life to Christ and now has received forgiveness through the grace of God. And so he says, but, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. What, what is that form of doctrine? The gospel. Obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. And Paul knows best because he was one of the ones who's preaching it. And we'll, we'll look at verse number 18 on from, from that point on here. Um, in, well, no, no, verse number 18 is part of this. Okay, verse number 18. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So that is a switch of situations. It's not dealing with a child of God who's battling flesh against spirit. Which one am I going to yield to in my daily walk? Am I going to give in to the temptation of the flesh? Or am I going to yield myself to the leading of the spirit of God in my life? He is dealing with, there was a time in your life when you were obedient unto the guilt and condemnation of unrepentant sinner. But now, You've been obedient. You used to obey as a lost individual without Christ. Now you've been obedient unto God to forgiveness, now righteousness, and to life. You're no longer the person you used to be. But he's laying out, and he's pointing out here that obedience is the revealing factor. You were, you've always been obedient. People are, ah, nobody tells me what to do. I make my own choices. <laughs> That's funny. Um, that's what you call greatly deceived. Um, Yes, everybody makes choices, make their own choice. You you have to live by the choices you make. But uh, there's always someone influencing us. Well, no, I'm my own man. Ain't nobody going to influence and tell me what to do. I make my own decision. (laughs) Here's the problem. The one you that's actually influencing that attitude is unseen. But you're still influenced. Because ultimately, when you get down, get out of the physical realm of things and get into the unseen spiritual realm of life, and you realize every individual is going to be, uh, allow themselves to be influenced by either God's direction or satan's direction or his influence which is going to be the power of sin over a life or god's direction the power of righteousness and holiness over a life everyone is always influenced by one or the other we are being tempted 
to do that which would be ungodly or we are being directed and encouraged and led of the Spirit to do that which would be pleasing to the Lord. But there's always a pull and it depends on which one we decide to yield to daily. But in this particular verse, verse number 16, Paul is dealing specifically with those who were once yielded to the obedience to sin. That, by the way, the law proved how bad that is. And therefore, living in guilt, living in condemnation. But they became obedient unto God. It's always been obedience. Which one do I obey? Which side do I, I yield to? But as a, as a lost person, person becoming then a child of God, it is going from obedience and yielding or giving myself over to the obedience of unrepentant sin to now I make a choice of obedience unto righteousness through Christ. And so Paul's laying that out, that the obedience, which obedience you're following, uh, which discipline you're following can show whether or not uh, a person is likely to be a child of God or likely to be a lost, unrepentant sinner. And may I say, when you watch a life, it is not for us to place the judgment on whether or not somebody is saved. However, when you watch a life, there are telltale signs that Paul is talking about that reveal the likelihood of which side of the aisle of eternity they're on. Obedience to sin or obedience to God and righteousness. But he, he deals with the, the deciding factor, and that deciding factor is the yielding what are they yielding themselves to on a regular basis? What have they become the servant to? Uh, and then there is the, the clear difference that's seen as well. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. <clears throat> it is without hesitation that I say, a child of God should be noticeable by the very act they perform the very, I should say the act they perform, but the very way in which they conduct themselves in society. The child of God should be noticeable. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And yes, that will probably rub the servants of sin, the servants of unrepentant life, that will probably rub that entire societal crowd the wrong way because there's nothing, nothing more obvious than the hatred of the wicked for those who are trying to live for a righteous God. But it should be obvious. Being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. No longer to serve sin, but to serve God. Verse number 19 through verse number 20, very quickly is uh, the, the challenging measure of obedience. And here again, Paul now begins to go into what would show some evidence that, a, that, that an individual claiming to be a child of God is very likely what they claim to be. 
What, what is a, a way in which there is some evidence that, uh, that this could be genuine and real? There has been the change in their life that only Christ can bring. Well, in verse number 19 and verse number 20, we see um, a couple of things that, uh, that should stand out for us. Let me, let me read these, and I'll, I'll give you these two, these two thoughts, okay? Verse number 19 says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. In other words, man is weak. I'm dealing with this issue because we need to understand the difference between a child of God desiring to serve God and a lost person being bound in sin and unable to be free apart from Christ. So he said, I speak of the the, the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, so as ye have yielded in that way, and to iniquity unto iniquity. So what he's saying is, you've yielded yourself in, in your past uh, history of being a, a slave to sin, a servant to unrighteousness, locked in wickedness, apart from Christ. How did you live your life? Well, you lived your life as servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. In other words, he's saying, let's just get honest with each other. When you were without Christ, you lived your life as wickedly as you could possibly live it, trying to live it up and do as much as you can for that flesh desire. And you gave it your all. And you lived iniquity unto iniquity, sin unto sin, wickedness unto wickedness. And you were going and you were going and you were going because as a servant of sin, You were serving sin faithfully. That's what he's saying. Let's just be real. You're servants of uncleanness and iniquity to iniquity. But then he says, okay, but here's the contrast. Ye were once, but what are you now as a child of God? He says in verse number 19, the last part, even so now yield your members Servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Now, some people look at that and they get a little confused, so they just kind of skip over and move on. But he's not trying to, uh, to say that, uh, you know, when you, were, when you were lost, you were really free. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is free, being, when you were servants, Of sin, you were free from righteousness. What he's saying is, you had no obligation to live according to God. You're not his. When you were the servants of sin, you were serving exactly what you should be serving. Because a sinful creature who has not been repentant of sin and not been forgiven. By the grace of God, which is the only way in which an individual receives forgiveness of sins for all eternity, when you are a servant to sin and you are lost in your sin and you are not a child of God, well, what else are you going to serve? What else are you going to give your life to but that which you are? So he's saying you... You had no obligation. You had no, no binding to be righteous or live for God. By the way... Uh, that is why when people 
they're, they're good churchy people. They've been raised in church. They know church atmosphere. They know religious atmosphere. But they live wickedly and then come to church and then live wickedly and then come to church and then live wickedly. And, and people are like, how can they live and then call themselves a Christian when honestly they have no desire for God. They have no desire for the things of God. They only do church out of obligation so they don't feel as guilty because people are on their case about it. But there's no desire for God. It's only a desire for everything in the world. There's really no evidence of, of really, as far as the Bible says, being a, being a child of God. How does that happen? Well, they're, honestly, they, ha- they feel no obligation to real righteousness because, may I say, again, I'm not trying to judge. I'm not trying to say who's saved. What I'm saying is the evidence is, the likelihood is, if they're living truly separate from that which pleases God and they're just as happy as can be living in sin and claiming the things that they, they have the right words, right terminology, right stuff, but wrong living and no desire for really serving God. May I say the evidence is overwhelming that there's a good possibility they're actually none of his. And how is it they can just continue and continue and continue and continue and continue and they feel no desire whatsoever to do that which is righteous when they they were raised to know better? It might be because they're not his and they're not bound to that. They're bound to this. And so Paul's saying, listen, of course, of course you, you had no desire for serving God before. You, because you were a, a lost sinner. You were a servant to sin. But what he's telling them is, you yielded your members as servants to uncleanness, iniquity to iniquity. But for those who have given your heart and life to Christ... To those who have received the forgiveness of sin through what Christ has done for you. And you are a child of God. You once lived iniquity to iniquity abounding to that one which you were a servant to. Why would you do less for God than you did for the flesh? Why would you live less for righteousness than you lived for wickedness? The challenging measure of obedience that Paul's presenting here is do no less for God than you did for your sinful flesh when you knew him not. And also remember the fact that we owe the Lord everything. When I was lost and without him, I was I was free from the knowledge of what I owe God. But when I became knowledgeable and I gave my life to the one who died for me, now I am bound to the truth that I owe him everything. Because his grace is nothing I could merit. I could give no effort to earn the favor of God and the grace of God. It is given to me through unmerited favor. Therefore, I must remember, if I served sin, 
with everything I had, how could I do less for a God in whom I owe everything? And that's what Paul is ultimately laying out in this understanding of whose servant are you? How, how could it be hard to serve God when you owe him everything? How could it be hard to serve the one who gave you everything? I mean, how could it be hard to to, want to serve the one and do for the one who removed you from a future of complete and total guilt and condemnation and gave you a new life? The, The last bit of this, the last couple of verses, 21 through 23, Paul, now verse number 23 is very familiar, but it builds up to 23. Verse number 23 we use many times in the Romans road of giving the gospel. And it's appropriate, but you also have to understand where it's coming from. Verse number 21 through 23 actually is dealing with undeniable fruit. Sin unto shame, ending in death. Forgiveness unto holiness, ending in everlasting life. That's, that's what the undeniable fruit that is presented here. Verse number 21, what fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? The child of God does not revel in the sinful past. The sinful past is a shameful reminder of who I used to be without Christ. So what fruit have ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Sin to shame, ending in death. But now, verse number 22, contrast, but now being made free from sin and become become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness And the end, everlasting life. So forgiveness unto holiness. And the end of it all, everlasting life. May I say in this one sense before going to verse number 23. May I say that uh, in this life there are times that we can be very confused as to whether or not somebody truly is saved. But I, I... can with certainty, without any doubt, say that there is coming a day when the fruit will answer all questions. The end result will give an answer as to what was real and what was not. Because there will come a day when sin, which is shameful, will bring forth death. Separation from God. Eternal separation. Unforgiven. Shameful. In the condemnation and separation. Death. Or. Forgiven. Unto a righteousness not my own. But God does a work. Places his righteousness on my account. And begins to do the work of righteousness in me unto holiness. So that I can serve him. Which in the end will result in everlasting life. Never to be separated from his presence. Even if in this life we struggle to wonder. Is someone 
is that person really saved? May I say the, the sad but exciting at the same time, it's kind of a mixed emotions thing, the sad but exciting part is one day all will be revealed without any questions because one path will end in death and one path will end in life. And no one's going to slip by God's knowledge of who's who. He'll be able to divide without any failure of accuracy as to who are his own and who are none of his. Verse number 23 just lays out that comparison of the end result revealing all things. For the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, the end result of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's one of two paths. There's one of two choices that we make. I remain the servant of sin or I choose Christ and I willfully choose to be a servant of righteousness unto God. Whose servant are we? If you say, well, I I know that I'm saved. All right. Is it obvious? Because the child of God, according to Paul, is pretty obvious. You were once, but something's totally different now. And if you're ashamed of what we should be in Christ, or you just don't care to be anything that Christ desires us to be or for God, that's when question arises Has there ever been a time when I truly accepted Christ as my Savior and the forgiveness of sins and the freedom from the bondage and condemnation so that I can live unto him? Because if I have no desire for him at all, am I his? If there's no change, if there's no difference than a wicked world, then I need to do some investigation into my heart and life. The child of God is obvious. May not, not perfect, not perfect, but obvious to a lost and dying world. There should be a stark contrast. And that's what Paul is presenting here. Well, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Pharaoh has kept you long enough and uh, we've got a short business meeting to close up on this. So let's pray real quick and and, uh, we'll have our business meeting and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening.